Our Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for gathering us around your word. We pray that your spirit will touch our hearts to understand, to obey, and to apply your words in our lives. And as I speak now, Lord, guide me to speak faithfully and clearly to your praise and glory. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> our friends, <clears throat> as we gather this evening, we continue with our post-Easter uh, series on the Psalms. And today, uh, turn with me to Psalm 40 on page 557, 557. And there is also a sermon outline in the middle of the uh, bulletin that might be helpful to guide us along uh, as we uh, consider this psalm. Our friends also, um, I will be referring to a fair bit of the Bible. Uh, you don't have to turn to the places where I refer to. I will tell you the pages, but if you want to follow through, uh, fine. But uh, I have all got it all written down in my notes, so I will just read them to you. Now, as we begin this psalm, um, you notice how this psalm begins with a superscription, and the superscription reads this way. To the choir master, a psalm of David. Not all psalms have superscriptions. Over 50% of them have, but not all psalms have superscription. But if the superscription is there, it forms part of the psalm. And it is to be sung. In the context of uh, temple worship, it is to be sung uh, like the rest of the psalm. And the superscription contains information on or instructions to the musicians or choir master. Sometimes it has got the instrument to be used when singing this, uh, uh, this psalm, what instruments are to be used to accompany this psalm, and uh, also other musical arrangements. Now, in this case, the superscription identifies the writer, King David, who had addressed it to the choir master or the head of the musicians. Now, friends, if we were asked to uh, say something about King David, we'll probably say something like, oh, you know, he, is, he was the guy who, as a teenager, fought with the uh, giant Goliath and killed him with his own sword. Uh, or he was the one who replaced King Saul as the king of Israel. Or David ruled over a period of the, um, Israel uh, called the Golden Age. Or we might remember him for his adultery with Bathsheba. But the Bible tells us that David was an accomplished musician. We can see this uh, described for us in 1 Samuel 16, just after he was anointed king by Samuel. It's found on page 285. 1 Samuel 16, verses 14 to 23. Let me just read an excerpt from there. Now the spirit of the Lord departed from Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to seek out the man skillful in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it, and you will be well. And in verse 23, and whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. 
So Saul was refreshed and was well, and the harmful spirit departed from him. Now, friends, the lyre was an ancient string instrument whose sound comes from vibrating the string's vibration on a tortoise shell, much like our modern guitar, where the vibrating box is made of wood, um, sometimes quite the uh, ray wood. And the sound comes from the um, uh, vibration box, so to speak. And the musicians wrote songs to accompany the music that they make up, that they uh, compose. And King Saul was very much comforted, as we read just now, by uh, David's music and song. Now, Psalm 40 is just one example of uh, David's musical arrangements or his uh, writings. But one that was not dedicated for the comfort of Saul, but for the worship of the great God of Israel. And as we look at this psalm in detail, as we look at the text, we'll look at it in three parts. First of all, uh, verses 1 to 5, the faithfulness of the Lord. And then from verses 6 to 10, obedience of the sacrifices. And then thirdly, uh, from verses 11 to 17, in faith, the Lord's people walk. So back to page 557, looking at the text. Let me read the beginning. To the choir master, a psalm of David, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Now, if you are David, you know, you must be wondering to yourself, how can we be patient and trusting when we are in such immediate danger? David, in verse 2, pictures himself as being placed in a miserable hole in the ground, doomed to destruction a hole of slippery clay from which it would be impossible, it would be too slippery for him to climb up from. And this was made much worse because the bottom of the pit is described by David this way, like a bog, a picture of decaying and stinking and sinking and rotting vegetation that pulls the person down, that sucks the person down like uh, uh, stepping on a swamp. Yet David the man of God, who trusts in his Lord to save him, said, I waited patiently for the Lord. There is no sign of fear in him, no sign of uncertainty in David. There is only the calm certainty, the assurance in the faithfulness of the God who will save him. Because David's experiences has always been that no matter what the problem was that affected him, the Lord will bend his ear, will incline his ear to David and will hear his cry. And his trust is rewarded. Not only did the Lord hear him, but the Lord acts to save him. Verse 2, he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon the rock, making my steps secure. The Lord drew David out from whatever trouble he was in. The Bible doesn't describe for us in this place what trouble he was in, but David faced all kinds of trouble from all sorts of people. But the Lord drew him out from his trouble. An action that could not be achieved by David by himself is achieved by the Lord of Israel. Utterly helpless, David threw himself at the only means of salvation, the Lord God himself. And God restores David 
on firm, firm ground again, safe from the danger. Weakened legs are made strong again as the Lord uh, makes his steps secure. And what is David's response? David's response is a new song of praise. We read this in verse 3. He put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And David continues to testify in the last two verses, 4 and 5. Uh, Blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet there are more than can be told. And no matter how hard David tells of the blessing, of the saving, of the salvation of God upon him, hard as he tries, David will never be able to tell of all the blessings that God has uh, showered upon him. And when we come to the second part of our our psalm uh, in verses 6 to 10, obedience over sacrifice, we find that this second section of the psalm contains some of the most amazing sayings that picks up or are picked up in other parts of the Bible. We read in verse 6, In sacrifice and offering you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear. Burnt offering and sin offering you have not required. First, we take a look at what is meant by an open ear, as this leads us to understand the main point of this section. Notice a small letter, two, after the open ear. Well, at the bottom of the page, you will see an explanation that says that in the Hebrew, it reads, ears you have dug for me. So what is David doing here? David is just emphasizing that the responsive hearing of God's commands and obedience to those commands is more desirable to God than the mere ritualistic offering of animal sacrifices. Now, interestingly, more than, five, uh, more than 200 years later in Isaiah 50, in a passage that we did not read uh, just now, but we read this in Isaiah 50, uh, verses 4 onwards, on page 730, the prophet refers to the same thing about the awakening or the opening of ears. Let me read it to you uh, from the second part of verse 4. Morning by morning, he awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. The Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. Now, not also that uh, this passage from Isaiah 50 forms part of the crucial theme of the suffering servant who came to do God's bidding. As we continue to read further down in Isaiah 50, we read in the second part of verse 5, the suffering servant said this, I turned not backward. I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be put to shame. The suffering servant resolutely face the challenges that will come in obedience to God's bidding. Now, David has more to say as we continue to read verse 7 of our psalm. He says this, Then I said, Behold, I have come in the scroll of the book. It is written of me. So what is the scroll of the book that David was referring to? 
Well, in the first five books of the Bible, in the Torah, written some 500 years before, God has set out commands for his people uh, to live a holy life. And in Deuteronomy 17, uh, in page four, uh, it, on page 191 from verses 14 to 20, God speaks particularly about Israel's kings and how they should live so that all things will go well with them and all things will go well with Israel. Let me just read uh, verses 18 to 20 for you. And when he, the king, sits on the throne of his kingdom, he shall write for himself in a book a copy of this law, and it shall be with him all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God by keeping all the words of this law, that he may not turn aside from the commandment. So the scroll that the, of the book that David is referring to is a copy of the Lord's commands for the kings of Israel for them to follow, uh, to follow so that all will be well with them and all will be well with the nation Israel. My friends, as you know, with a number of the Psalms, particularly the Davidic Psalms, David's words were to prove more prophetic than just speaking about himself or Israel's kings or about the nation Israel. And in the, in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews records Jesus using these same verses of, of Psalm 40, uh, verses 6 to 8 on himself. Hebrews 10, 5 to 7 on page 1199 that we read just now. Let me read to you. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he, Christ, said, Sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body have you prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. Jesus quotes from these same verses of Psalm 40 and applied it to himself. But notice how the psalmist's open ear has been explained by Jesus to its ultimate or final uh, result. An open ear to listen to the command of God that leads to total obedience has become, in Jesus' words, but a body have you prepared for me. Because in Jesus' perfect obedience to God, the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ, shows that he has left his pre-existing glory with the Father to take on human form the body that God had prepared for him as described in Hebrews 10, verse 5. And the Lord clarifies further the meaning of the cross on which he will die. He said this, Sacrifices and offerings God has not desired and have no pleasure in, even though they were mandated or commanded by the law. Nonetheless, the Son of God himself became the ultimate. He became the perfect sacrifice so that the holy God can be reconciled to sinful human beings once again. A sacrifice that suffices for all time and needs not be repeated. We pick this one up in verses 17 to 18 of Hebrews 10. I read from, from Hebrews 10, 17. I, the Lord, will remember their sins and the lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of this, there is no longer 
any offering for sin. So friends, Jesus' death on the cross has brought in the new covenant of grace, where God's laws are put in his people's hearts and written on their minds. When this is done, there is no place for blind, unfeeling, mechanical observation of the law, a pharisaic pharisaic, uh, legalism, so to speak, something that is done blindly without any feeling at all. And David went on in the response to this grace. He said this in verse 8 onwards, I would, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is written in my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O God. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and of your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. Now, friends, here is where uh, David's words form a timely reminder for us to check. When was the last time we recognized God's mighty hand working in our lives? Or when was the last time we spoke to someone about this grace that God has poured upon us? Or has our life been so good and so comfortable that God seems so far away, even though He is the one who is blessing us with all this goodness and all this blessing? He's so far away that we cannot feel Him near. Oh, friends, we need to watch that our appreciation of God is not superficial or shallow, mechanical or unfeeling, or just a mere observation for the sake of an outside show of piety and righteousness and holiness. I will come to the last part of our, our psalm, In Faith the Lord's People Walk, from verses 11 to 17. And David begins on verse 11, As for you, O Lord, you will not refrain your mercy or restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. So just as in the beginning of the psalm, David had waited patiently for God to act in his right time, he now makes a simple statement of faith again, the sure certainty of the Lord's action on behalf of his people. We read in verse 12, For evils have, has, have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me, and I cannot see. They are more than the hairs of my head. My heart fails me. And just as David held fast to the Lord, even when he was in danger of being swamped by the difficult periods of his life, he now held fast to him when he faced uncountable evils and his own sinfulness. He cries out, trusting in the Lord. The Lord that he knows will incline to him and act and restore him. We read this in 13. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me, O Lord. Make haste to help me. A cry of acknowledgement to the only one who can save, even as he begs for expediency and speed of deliverance. But you see in the next two verses that David was human after all. We read this in verses 14 and 15. He said, Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. 
David has acknowledged that his sins are beyond numbering. But some of the evils that he faced in his life are caused by his enemies who were jealous of him, who were opposed to him. So he calls out for the Lord to vindicate him against the forces that are ranged against him. He does not fear the opposition, for his Lord is mightier than them, and his Lord will prevail. And so what is David's simple response? His David's simple response is found in verse 16. Great is the Lord, we read. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. A restatement of faith of those who trust in the Lord. Now friends, once again, David's walk of faith reminds us that if restoration is known only to those who are restored, how badly we must have felt to give glory to the God who has done it for us. If restoration is only known to those who are restored, how badly we must have felt to give glory to the God who has done the restoration. And just what is this greatest restoration that the Lord has given to those who trust in Him? His salvation through His Son, Jesus Christ. How have we acknowledged this? And how have we proclaimed this uh, to others around us? Have we done enough to do this? Have we brought others to the knowledge of the gospel, of, of truth, of salvation, of love and mercy that God has given to us through His Son, Jesus Christ? David said in verse 16, But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As we come to the end of our, our psalm, uh, we want to ask ourselves what we can bring home with us. And again, uh, we will be looking at three things. Uh, first of all, being human beings, we always like to be in control of everything around us, including going to heaven. We want to be in control. In fact, we, we, we want to control the fact that uh, we are in control so that we can get to heaven by our own means, by our own efforts. Well, the psalm tells us you can't do that. You can't get into God's good work by sacrificing or singing offerings or uh, doing all the observations that are needed. You can't get into His good books doing that. Because why? Salvation belongs only to God. We are helpless without Him. Salvation belongs to God and to Him alone. He acts in His own time and according to His own plan. And we just have to wait patiently until He inclines His ear to us. We wait patiently for Him to act and to restore us, confident to the end of His faithfulness to save us, both here and in the hereafter. And the second thing that we can bring back with us this evening is that we should not be like the Pharisees who obey only for the sake of external appearance. Because the psalm tells us obedience is from the heart. It was reflected uh, absolutely in the absolute and perfect obedience of God's Son, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross so that the sins of the world can be forgiven, that those who believe in Him will go to heaven with Him. Obedience is not to be mechanical or unfeeling or, 
obedience with lots of complaints coming from our lips. No, obedience is from the heart, just as Jesus shows. He turned not his face or his back from being smitten or from those who pull out his beard. Obedience is from the heart. And thirdly, what is our proper response? Our total response is given in verse 16. Great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. It is time to proclaim it for all to know because the Lord has done it all for us. We cannot claim any, any, any uh, what you might call, any credit for it. And we must acknowledge our dependence and our helplessness and we must reach out in His strength and we must proclaim it to others around us. So friends, we can go home uh, with these three things. First, we cannot get into heaven on our own efforts. We need to trust in the Lord. Secondly, we should not obey, just uh, mechanically and unfeelingly. And thirdly, we should respond by saying, great is the Lord, and proclaim it to all around us. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the timely reminder that all salvation belongs to you and is in your power to save and yours alone. We want to thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, who obeyed perfectly and became the perfect and ultimate sacrifice for our sins. We thank you that um, uh, you have given us of your Spirit to guide us and lead us as we uh, seek to walk closer to you and to obey you even better. We pray for his strength, and we pray that, Lord, you guide us to give glory and praise to you always. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.